Lord Jesus, we just declare that you are our King. And Father God, we just come before you afresh today, Lord. And Lord, whatever you're asking from us, Lord, Lord, we just say, Lord, we give it, we surrender it to you, Lord. Because, Lord, our heart's desire is that you would be king over each of us, Lord, all the days of our life, Lord. I ask, Father God, what is not of you, Lord. I ask, Lord, that we would simply put away, Lord. And, Lord, the things, Lord, that you're longing, Father God, to just pour out over each one of us, Lord. I ask, Father God, that you would just see, Lord, our hearts so wide open for you, Lord. We just so want to bless you here, Lord. Bless you for your presence. Bless you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you see, Father God, every heart of worship, Lord. Just bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to um, just give Lord Jesus just... um, It's almost like I just want to clap him and I want to applaud him because he is so faithful and... Sorry? It's out. And Nikki became a grandmother on Friday, and so did I. (laughs) And we praise God because Sam and Grace gave birth to a beautiful, healthy eight-pounder little girl called Misha, which is Hebrew for the essence of God. He, He is a very, very faithful God, and we have already seen his faithfulness over the last couple of days. I also want to praise God because I'm just reading from Isaiah 45, and It's really important that you believe that if there are doors that are locked before you, that Jesus, your king, will open before you the double doors. And Isaiah 45 says to open before him the double doors so that the gates will not be shut. And he says, I will go before you. I will make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze. I will cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. And I just love that scripture this this week. And I'm so praising God because as you know, a lot of us a couple of years ago, we, we stood up in Kibble Park and with other churches, we all proclaimed and actually declared the word of God in Kibble Park. Freemasons moved the white witchcraft um, shop closed down and became a Christian cafe. And I remember talking to the owner of the White Witchcraft and he said the biggest stronghold in Gosford is the occultic place. And so a couple of us, we went to, um, it's at the start of Donaldson Street, we went outside the occultic place and the doors were locked. And we knocked on the doors, they wouldn't open the doors. I called up, they wouldn't open the doors. The doors were absolutely locked, but we prayed that God would open the doors. Now, a couple of days ago, there was a evangelistic um, meeting um, in Gosford for all the pastors. I'm walking down Donaldson Street to, to go to the evangelistic conference, and I see the occultic place again, and it's a heavy place. And I was like, oh, it's still there because I haven't walked past it for like, you know, probably a couple of years. And I was like, it's still there. Lord, it's still there. What is the prayer? What is the prayer? Anyway, I go to the, the meeting and at the end of the meeting, the, one of the um, organisers says, we want to give out some deep water pearls um, to, to some of the women here, the pastors. And I was like, oh, wow, what a beautiful gift. So I walk out and I'm thinking, like, who would walk away from an evangelistic conference with some beautiful, um, genuine deep water pearls and beautiful gift bag? Anyway, I'm walking back to my car park. I'm walking back past the occultic store and I walk past and then I realise the doors are open. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, go back. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Lord. You go before me, you go before me. Anyway, I get there and the lady, obviously a witch, um, she's outside, she's writing something, looks psychotic on the window screen. And the Holy Spirit then at the moment gave me the words and I said to her, I said, I've got a message from God for you. And she said, what is that? And I said, I've got some pearls. They're not my pearls. God says they are your pearls And the Lord Jesus would say to you that you are going to sell 
everything here and I pointed to the occultic shop. I said, you will sell everything in the spiritual realm and you will go and buy the pearl of great price. His name is Jesus. And, and she was so shocked. I mean, I was shocked. She was shocked. And she said, oh, oh, something about Jesus. I said, no, this is what the Lord says to you. You will sell everything and you will go and buy the pearl of great price. And she said, I want to say thank you. And I was just absolutely gobsmacked. And I so had to repent because on the way down before the meeting, my prayer was like, God, could you set fire to the place? My prayer, I know, I confess, I repent. I know I'm on YouTube. Um, I want to say there's always a bigger and a better prayer. Pray for whoever is against you, whoever is an enemy, whoever's trying to enmesh themselves in your family. You pray that they go and sell everything and go and buy and find that pearl of great price. His name is Jesus. Amen. How do we follow that, eh? <laughs> it's all happening here today. Um, We've got a groom sitting over there, for those who don't know. Are you nervous? A little bit. Just go with the flow, mate. Yeah, give him a clap. You're doing it for, the, doing it for Jesus and doing it for the country and doing it for yourself, aren't you? <laughs> Praise God. And we have Pappy. Is that right? Pappy. I think that's Welsh. Uh, no, Irish, isn't it? No? Spanish. Sp Spanish, there you go. <laughs> right, uh, fair enough. Um, this morning I want to talk, and it's my, the name of my sermon or the title for my sermon is The Will of God concerning you. Now, there's no scripture that I'm going to read out straight away, so we don't have to stand up. But it's going to be a sort of a expository type teaching sermon. So there's going to be a lot of scripture, but I'll, the ones I want you to read in your Bible, I'll, I'll um, get you to read. But So that's where we're at this morning. So over the years, praying for people and listening to people and talking to people and counselling people, a lot of the time the question comes out, you know what, I don't know what the purpose of God is for my life. And that's because you're not supposed to know what the purpose of God on you. The purpose of God for you in your life is to glorify the name of the Lord and lift up high the name of Jesus. That's, the, that's, that's our purpose. The question we should be asking is, what is the will of God for my life? Now, that's the question. It's a very perplexing question. And it's one that God wants us to know. It's not something like, um, you know, dropping a pin into a, a sand or something and seeing the shape of Argentina come up and, oh, I must have to be a missionary in Argentina. Or I don't know who the girl I'm supposed to marry or the, the, the man I'm supposed to marry and I don't know how to find that out and I'm not sure about that and... You know, I'm not sure whether I should have this job, but I'm not sure whether I have that job. And you know what, for the, I've got to confess, for the very, a lot of the years of my first part of my Christianity, that was me. I just, I'm just searching for the, for the will of God in my life. And I was just talking to Gus before. My whole idea was either crash or crash through. That's how I, that's, I'm just going to do it. And, and that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to find out the will of God for our life. 
and it's, and it's something that we should search for, but it's also something that he's given us the ingredients for, and that's found in this. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, it's found in this, and you will find it in this. It's the word of God. And David said in, in uh, Psalm 143.10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Now, he didn't say drop it from heaven. He didn't ask for the angelic host to, to print it out for him. He didn't ask for some majestic thing or manifestation of the spirit to come. He said, Lord, I want you to teach me. Teach me how to do your will because you are my God. And, you, and I believe that because you are my God, that you want me to do what you want me to do. You want to teach me what you want me to do. Luke 22:42 says this, Father, if your will take this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. John 5:30 says this, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. This is Jesus talking about his Father. He, 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 never knew the, he never understood the completeness of the will of God for his life until he started to mature and he, he, he became into a perfect mind and a perfect sense of what God was trying to do. But it was always about God's will for him. John 6.38 says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus was always after the will of the Father. Romans 1.10, and this is Paul, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. So Paul was trying to get to, um, to, do, to, to the Romans and, and to preach to the Roman church but he wrote the letter to the Romans a long time before he got there and he was always searching but he made sure he wanted to know the will of God because the will of God was so important to Paul's life. Now we learn the, this, this prayer when we're young. It's probably the first prayer we ever learn. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name or blessed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. But how many people, if any, have done the will of the God? Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we just go on in our life and we never ask about what the will of the Father is. We want to know what the purpose is for our life. It's all about us. It should never be about us. It's always got to be about him. Amen? amen? Don't be afraid to say a few amens this morning because it helps me. I get encouraged by that. You know, there's two parts to this. There's God's will that he's going to do anyway. He's had an eternal plan from the beginning and he knows what it is right until the end. And yet today especially today, we are just thinking, and I know that all Christians are thinking the same thing, what's going on in the world and has the Lord really got control of all this? You know, China is having an unprecedented heat wave that they've never ever had before. You've got Russia and Ukraine trying to bomb each other to pieces. You've got one of the greatest famines going on in Kenya at the moment. You've got Pakistan's underwater. You've got the Pacific Islands worrying that their villages are going to be washed away. Well, in New America, you know, they're trying to pass a bill. It's just that they're in midterms at the moment. Once they're through with their midterms, New York is trying to pass a bill that you can have an abortion 28 days after birth. After birth. It got failed the first time, but they believe they're going to push it through. And if the Democrats win the House, they'll push that through. In Montana, 
they've already got a bill that says that you can have an abortion up to 28 days before birth. That's a bill that's already in motion. In California, they've got billboards as you come down the main highways. If you want an abortion, you come to California and we'll fix you up. But then you've got the other half of America who are anti-abortion, but they believe in the First Amendment that you can bear arms. And if you offend them, they'll shoot you. Do we want to live in America? And, and Australia's got these unprecedented floods that people's houses have been washed out two or three times. And people start to think, you know what, I don't know whether God's in control. I really don't know whether God's still in control. And then they, they, they base their whole life, they base their whole, their whole emotions, they base their, 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 their plans and their, their thinking on, well, I don't know whether God's in control. Right, if you have your Bibles... Turn to Psalm 33. We're going to read a few verses. And I'm going to show you, you know, that God is still in control. Psalm 33, 6 to 10, and it says this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breadth of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel, listen to this, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people to no effect. Turn to Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Say yay when you've got it. Yeah, good. Verses 9 to 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God... And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. That's got to bring an amen. That's got to bring comfort to the souls. Psalm 135, 6 says this, whatever the Lord pleases, he does him and in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and all the deep places. And if you want to turn to Daniel, chapter 4, and give me another yay when you got there. I heard one yay, gee, you're fast. Daniel 4, verses 35 and, 34 and 35. And this is Nebuchadnezzar when he... He'd come back to his senses. You know that he, he built a golden image of himself and wanted everyone to praise him and worship him and he ended up eating grass. But you know what? he came to his senses and this is what he said. And at the end of time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed to nothing. He does according to his will. In the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar come to that. We need to come to that. That is our mantra, that the Lord is still in control. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to his purpose of him who works all things 
according to the counsel of his will. How good's that? When people are, you know, worrying about this and that and something else and this is going to happen, is that going to happen, something else going to happen? You know what? It doesn't matter. God's in control. And God's in control of your life. And he wants you to know the will for you in your life. Not, the, not what my purpose is, Lord. Lord, what is your will for my life? Doesn't matter what's going on in the world, makes no difference to God's eternal plan. I happened to turn on the news the other night just as I was flashing by, and this is what the, the head of the honcho of the COP conference, the COP summit over there, the climate change conference, was over there. That's where all the geniuses are trying to work out what's going to happen in the world. Still haven't come up with an answer. But the head of the conference, his opening statement was, with climate change, listen to this, with climate change, the world is on the road to hell. Let me say this. The world is in sin and is on the road to hell. That's what he should have been saying. The world's in a hopeless position and we really don't know what to do with it. And if we don't accept God as our Lord and Saviour, is we don't start to, to worship the one who created all, we are on the road to hell. That needs to be our message. That needs to be the thing that we are so positive about. That needs to be the thing that is central in our mind when we're thinking that, you know what, I don't know where I am in all this plan. And I'm going to tell you how to get the will of God. You've just got to bear with me. So, righto. What was that? Amen. 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 Let's have an amen. amen. Great. Right, now that's part one. So we've come to the realisation that God has a plan. He's always had a plan. It's a plan that he's going to keep going. It doesn't depend on whether the, the water's rising, whether there's a drought or anything else. It doesn't even depend on whether we sin. It doesn't even depend on whether the world blows itself apart or not. God has got a plan and he is going to fulfil that plan. But we have a part to play in this. In the human level, what is God's will for man? What man does or does not do will not determine God's will. And I'm going to give you six things we must do to find God's will for our life. First off, one, number one, you must be saved. Ha! Everyone says, oh, we know, we know that. 1 Timothy, three, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4 says, says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What is the truth? It says in the next verse, That the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. This is in 2 Peter 3, 9. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Mark 7.21. Uh, Matthew 7.21, rather. Matthew 7.21. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If you're not saved, you cannot possibly know the will of God. If you are not saved, you have got no idea what is in this book. Philosophers might try and work out and tell you what it is and what it's not. They've got no idea. Only people who are saved knows what's in this book. And only this book known will you know the will of God for your life. Now, over the years, 
I've counselled people and I've talked to people and all sorts of things and you're talking to them and they're coming out with this stuff and all of a sudden the Spirit of God will say to you, just ask them about their conversion. I've often done this. I'll say, tell me about your conversion. I don't know, I was just converted. If you are saved and you are converted by the power of Jesus Christ, you will know the minute, the hour, the day, the time and the year. I'm telling you. And when you get up next morning, your life has changed forever. Now, I'm not going to say you're not going to fail, you're not going to fall down and get back up. But the Lord says he will forgive you 70 times 7, which is 490 times. That's just a figure that is just there. The fact remains is you need to be saved. And I'll say to people sometimes, you need to say the sinner's prayer. You really need to say the sinner's prayer. But yet I've been in, I've been in church all my life. Don't care. I don't think you're converted. I don't think you'd be saved. You know, when I, I, when I got saved... I went to work on the Monday morning and I worked in a heavy construction industry and then I used to serve parts to all the, the, the plant mechanics. They were a rough bunch. But you know what? They could tell that something had happened in my life the Monday after I got saved. And that's how it should be. So if you ask yourself this morning, what's well, never happened to me? I've never had that. I've never had a, that conversion where... You know, there's something definitely happened in my life. It's changed me. I can feel it. Well, you need to be saved. That's the first thing you need to do. Well, that's number one. Number two, you must be filled with the Spirit. Spirit-filled. Now, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about prophesying. They're gifts. I'm not too head up about all that stuff. I mean, it's good to have that gift. It's good to speak in tongues. But that's not what it means by being filled with the Spirit. Let me direct you to Ephesians 5, 17 to 18. It says this. Therefore, do not be unwise. Now, the Greek for this is aphron. And it means mindless or stupid. So Paul's saying, don't be mindless and don't be stupid. There was a bloke called Kenneth Weiss who died at 1961, but he was a Greek scholar. And he said the true meaning of that word, do not be unwise, is don't be an idiot. Don't be mindless, don't be stupid, don't be an idiot. But understand what the will of the Lord is and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, which just means ruin your life, but be filled... Pliru, which means saturated or controlled with the spirit. Now, the reason why he was saying that, because the Ephesians were um, a culture who believed in big feasts and getting drunk and having major orgies and that would bring you to a different spiritual level. And so Paul was trying to say to them, that's not the way to, this is not the way to go. You need to be, not be controlled by that, but be controlled, be saturated, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. So being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit means you are totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. Everything about your life is controlled by the Holy Spirit. You will be filled with the Spirit of God. That's what filled means. And you, as you live in the Spirit, the will of God will be released to you. Number three. You must be sanctified. That simply means set apart. So if you want to turn to 1 Peter 4, turn to 1 Peter 4.
verses one, 1 and 2. It says this. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Suffered in the flesh has been flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of the men, for the will of God. For the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now, there's two parts to sanctification. There's, there's um, if you want to know, there's positional and progressive sanctification. So as soon as you're saved, as soon as you ask the Lord into your life, you are positionally sanctified. But then you, be, you become progressively sanctified. And as year goes by and as year goes by and as years goes by and as you are com- continually filled up with the Holy Spirit, as you are continually relying on the Holy Spirit to, to deliver things in your life, to control your life, you are set apart even further, even further and even further. Now, I just want to give you one little example. This is just something small, but it's, this is, you'll have a progression, progression or run in your life. Um, I've ridden a bike for... Well, probably since I was 17. But in the last 10 years, I met up with a bunch of blokes and we used to ride every day down to Mount White and we'd go through the twisties and all that sort of stuff and then we'd have a coffee, a coffee down there and then we'd ride back home. Now, these were just ordinary guys. They weren't bikies, they were bikers. We loved riding bikes. And we used to just sit around and have a cup of coffee and we'd go home. But we'd done this for, I'd done this for 10 years with these guys. While COVID was on, the Lord Spirit spoke to my heart and it was, you know, it was quite plain. And he says, this is a good time for you to separate yourself from those guys. Now, there was nothing wrong with them. But what the Lord said to me, he said, being around these guys and listening to these same jokes and listening to the same stories and even though they know who you are, no souls have been saved in 10 years. So it's time for you to move on because it's damaging your spirit. Now, I didn't think it was damaging my spirit. I still met with the Lord every morning, still read my Bibles, all that sort of thing. But you know what? I said, oh, right, I look. So I stopped writing. And I can tell you that something happened in the spirit. I thought, wow, closer walk with thee, Lord. A closer walk with thee. See, that was a barrier. And that's what being set apart's all about. God wants to continually set you apart because he wants you for his own. He wants to teach you about the things that are close to his heart for your life. Isn't that exciting? Don't you think that's something that just warms your spirit, warms your soul? That God is so interested in us He's so intimately interested in us that he will even tell a guy that's been on the road for for 40-something years, I just want you to just take a breather from these guys and see what happens. It just happened. Praise God. Set apart. So that's number three. Number four. Number four. No, that's number three. Number four. You must be submissive. James 4, 7 to 10 says, Therefore, 7 to 10, 7 and 10. Therefore, submit to God, resist, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. One of the greatest obstacles of knowing God's will in your life is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And if we're not submitted to the Lord, if we aren't willing to submit and surrender to the Lord, the other, only other alternative is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's all about me. You know what? The Lord will let you have it all about me. And if you notice today's culture... That's all it's about, is me and what I want and what I feel 
and what I should be doing and how I should be treated. And you can't do this and you can't do that. You know what? The Lord is in control and he'll do anything he wants. But the whole thing is you need to be submissive. You need to be submissive to our pastors. Not passive-aggressive, but submissive. If the pastor asks you to do something, do it with all your heart, do it with all your substance. You need to be submissive to people who are in charge. The government, you need to be submissive to your boss at work. You need to be... I just play it really easy. I'm submissive to everybody. <laughs> unless it's sin or unless it's breaking the law, I, yeah, I'm submissive. Now, the Bible says that in Ephesians that the men are the head of the home. But I learned a long time ago, being head of the home, I made a wise decision and I became submissive to my wife because she knows more than I do. Now, I, if I make decisions, that's the decisions. But she's a lot smarter than me and she pulls me up and she'll put me back on the right path and she'll say this is what you... So and I'm willing to take that on. That's being submissive to ones that, who, that know better than what you do. Just be submissive to everybody. Unless it's sin. Unless it's breaking the law. This is the will of God concerning you. Number five, and this is a homdinger. You must be prepared to suffer for Christ. Now in Australia we haven't got any idea what suffering is. But in other countries, people suffer for Christ. 1 Peter 3.17 says this, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than doing evil. 1 Peter 4.19 Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Submit to the faithful creator. Submit to the person who knows you from the beginning of time. Submit to the one who designed you and created you before the world was in existence. You know, we talk about people being pastors. You know that in the Greek, that is the, the ascension gift ministries, that are, they are called doma gifts, D-O-M-A. And it simply means... Gifts that were given to men and women before the world was created. So doesn't it make sense to do what God wants us to do? Commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, if I went around the room, I could probably people would be able to tell me how, they, how they've suffered for Christ. You really haven't, but it's probably seemed that like at the time that we have suffered for our Christian faith. But we've got to keep our eyes on the plan. We've got to keep our eyes on the goal. That this is only a, a journey. This is only something we're going through for a small amount of time. Now, our place is in glory. Our place is being with the Lord forever and ever. And you know what? I want to be... I, my, my whole desire, my whole yearning these days is that when I get into glory and the crown of righteousness is put on my head, that the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Nothing else matters. That's the thing, that's the passion that drives me these days. Don't care about anything else. I do what needs to be done in order to hear those words from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, number six. And you can turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. You must be willing to give thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18 to 24 says this. In everything... Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Now, if you don't give thanks, you're quenching the spirit of God. 
then how do you know what you're supposed to be doing? How do you know in what direction you're supposed to be taking? When things come against you, when things that seem so unfair, when you're laying in bed and you're crook, when your job's being taken away from you, when people don't understand who you are and what you're trying to do and what your personality is and you're just feeling all alone, give thanks. It doesn't give you a little allotments to say, oh, they don't have to give thanks there. He says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Next verse. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So if you give thanks, in everything you give thanks, he's going to lift you up. He's going to put you on the right track. He's going to give you all the things that you need to have. So there are the six things. And you're going to be saying, well, you haven't told me what the will of God for my life is yet. You haven't told me what I should be doing. Well, this is your answer. And I think you're going to like it. Do whatever you want. How about that? Do whatever you want. If you're saved, you're filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit. If you're sanctified, if you're submissive, if you, if you suffer for Christ, and if you give thanks... God's just saying to you, you do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Because you know why? You're controlled by the Lord. Now, you'll want a scripture for this, because that's out there. So I'm going to give you a scripture. Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. The Lord wants to give you the desires of your heart. That's what it's all about. Do whatever you want. As long as you are controlled by those first six things, if you want to marry someone, marry them. Because you know what? If the Lord doesn't want you to do it, he'll start to put you on another path. Earlier this year, we were making some decisions. I was making some decisions about my future, and it sounded great. It was all good, sounded fantastic. But you know what? I just, there was something in my spirit and I was getting confused and upset and I'm wondering why. And I'd done something I never do. I put a fleece out before the Lord and the Lord answered that fleece and I knew not to do it. And as soon as I didn't do, make this decision, as soon as I didn't follow through with this decision, everything was made right again. I had just had a piece of God in my heart again. Why? Because God was just leading me and pushing me and saying, not the right place, not the right time. I want to lead you in paths of righteousness. This is not for you right now. Just follow me. Just do as the Spirit of God is telling you. Trust in me. Trust in me. And you will see far greater fruit than what you will see doing that. Now I'm going to finish with this. And it's my fa- probably one of my favourite verses or favourite psalms in the Bible. Let's all turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Now this is written by a guy who was late in his life and you know what, he just loved the Lord. David, he loved the Lord and he knew what it was for the Lord to have complete control over his life. And he was rejoicing in it. And this is what he said. The Lord is my shepherd. Listen to the next line. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. There you go. God wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. 
It will never happen until you submit to the will of God for your life. Whatever that is, whatever you want to do, and he will continue to lead you for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's your troubles, there's your tribulations, there's your trials, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod for correction, the staff for protection. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The NLT, a different version, says this. Surely, goodness and mercy shall pursue me shall pursue me. God doesn't want to let you go. Lord, in Jesus' name, I tell this man to stop just for a minute. He doesn't want to let us go. He wants to pursue us and pursue us until such times that we are in his will. That because we are in his will, what a reverb, he will do, give us the desires of our heart. And you know what? With that, I'm done. So, Pastor Martin. What a good time to hand over where nobody can hear. I hope you can hear a little bit because one of the things that Kevin touched on, it's really important to understand this. When we talk about changes in the climate, and that's all the rage at the moment. What the Word of God tells us is this. 2 Chronicles 7.13. God says, When I shut up the heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send the pestilence among my people, then you're supposed to pray. That's what it says. So everything that's happening in the world today... God is responding to all the aborting and all the wickedness and all the same-sex marriages. God is saying, I'm messing with the climate so that you will turn back to me and pray. Now, Revelation 16 says this, Then the fourth angel poured out the bowl on the sun, and power was given him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues and they did not repent and give him glory. So what that says is that while all this is happening, some people were blaspheming God. They were not giving him glory saying, you're in control, you're doing this, you're speaking in all this, you're calling the world back to yourself and to blaspheme him is to say, no men are doing this. Carbon is doing this. Don't get in that game because God is doing all this. God affects the world, he affects the climate when sin reaches a certain level. And sin has reached such a level, it's affecting the planet. God has designed, he has designed the planet that way. And we're supposed to repent and give him glory and turn back to him. And he'll keep doing it until men do that and not say, man is causing this problem. Man is the cause of the climate. Man is the problem. That is to blaspheme God. God is sovereign. He rules and he's in charge of everything. Amen. Now, Kevin just preached on the perfect will of God. And I have something to announce to the church. That I believe at the moment the, the will of God, the perfect will of God for my life and the church is that, see all those signs there? That's the calling of God on my life. And God is saying to me, it's time to go and bring in the end time harvest and to strengthen the global church for what is about to happen. So God is sending me again in 2023 and I'm going to all the African nations next year 
uh, to preach and to proclaim the Word of God. And uh, in order to do that, I will function next year as the senior evangelist in this church. I'll be going out and coming in. I'll be going out and coming in. I'll be going out and coming in, proclaiming the gospel, bringing in the, in the harvest, as I said, and strengthening the church for what's ahead, because there's a lot ahead. But in order to do that, God said to me last week, you, you, can't, you can't do that and pastor the church. And the grace to pastor this church has been coming off me. And the grace to evangelize has been coming back on me. And so from this day forward, the pastor, the senior pastor of the church will be Ross and Ashley. They are to pastor the church. And, you know, they're probably not ready to do that, to be really honest. But the way God works, he never appoints you when you are ready. He calls you to step in by faith. And as you step in it, he releases the grace that makes you ready. But they're going to need help, they're going to need patience, and they're going to need good people around them. So when I started pastoring a church, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> but by the grace of God, I had gracious people around me. So be gracious, support them. But the one thing that I am certain of, the one thing I am absolutely in no doubt about, this is the will of God for this church. I want you to support me as I go in and bring in the harvest because we don't want to just be a ghetto church. We want to be a missional church that's, that's concerned with winning souls and is active in the harvest fields of the world, and that's where the harvest is. So it's, it's everywhere, but that's what God's doing. Uh, it's his plan for this church. It always has been, but this is the transition time where the, 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 the grace to pastor is coming upon Ross and Ashley, and I encourage you to support them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I want to pray for us because I believe this rain is a sign of God's blessing, and it's also a sign that the enemy doesn't want the church to make these changes, but we're making them. So, Father God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you that you have a will for your people, and that is to obey you. Lord, you have a will for us to praise you. You have a will for us to obey you. You have a will for us, as Kevin said, to be filled with your spirit. And as we make your will our will, you give us the desires of our heart, the very desires of our heart. So, Father God, I thank you that many people this year will experience their heart's desires being fulfilled by the power of obedience. We give you, we give you such praise, we give you such glory for what you're doing in your church in this hour. We declare there is none like you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said, let's stand up and praise him because he is a wonderful God. He is a wonderful God. And his will is us for us to do that.